Man, bro, for real, I've got a great Bible study for you today. Roll that intro. What's up? I'm your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo, pastor and online Bible teacher. It wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the confidence, knowledge, and tools to feed my desire to dig deeper into God's Word. Fast forward past many lessons learned, mentors, and personal encounters with God, and you'll see the incredible privilege God has given me to teach the Bible to others. I'm convinced now more than ever that it's been God's Word that has led me to discover and fulfill the purpose God designed for me. I created the Christian Bro Code Podcast to help you on your journey to do the same. If you're a Christian bro who wants to grow as a disciple of Jesus so you can live, love, and lead in a way that honors God, you're in the right place. Let's get started, bro. Hey, what's up? It's your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Christian Bro Code Podcast. This podcast is all about helping you grow as a disciple of Jesus so you can live, love, and lead to honor God. This is season three, episode number two, new episode of the podcast, the first and third Saturday of every month at 7.30 in the morning so that you have something to listen to and to help you grow throughout your day. Now, today, this podcast is going out on Saturday, May the 30th. It's not a first Saturday. It's not a third Saturday. It's actually a fifth Saturday. So you know what? Bonus. And really, the reason I'm putting it out an episode today on the fifth Saturday of May is that I'm just too excited about this episode. I did not want to wait until the first Saturday in June to get this episode into your hands and into your ears. I, I just, I, I'm really excited about this episode. We're going to learn some stuff. We're going to, we're going to dive deep for real, and we're going to learn some, some really good stuff. I want to remind you also that the second and fourth Sunday of every month at 8.30 PM Central Standard Time, I do a live stream over on the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel. So if you haven't checked that out, check that out. Go to youtube.com slash the Christian Bro Code. You, sub, you can subscribe there. And second and fourth Sunday of every month, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, I do a live stream. Go ahead and check that out. It, interestingly enough, uh, last Sunday, I was supposed to do a live stream. It was the fourth Sunday of the month. And uh, seriously, I had already hit stream. The countdown was going down. And wouldn't you know it, bam, right there, we were in the middle of a thunderstorm and the power went out at our house. And I, I couldn't do the live. I was so bummed. I was so bummed. But anyway, stuff happens, right? But uh, join me Join me on that. All right, let's jump into the episode. Like I said, I am, I'm really excited about this episode. We're going to learn some stuff. And, and this, this, um, this episode is the first episode of three. This is going to be a three-part series. And I'm, I'm going to be talking about the blessing of Obed-Edom, my bro. Obed-Edom. Now, maybe you've heard of Obed-Edom. Maybe you haven't. No biggie. We're going to learn about him here uh, in this three-part series of this podcast. And you can read about Obed-Edom in 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's where I'm going to be basing this study on. He's also talked about the same story is in, gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head if it's 1 Chronicles or 2 Chronicles, like chapter 13, somewhere around there. Same story. Same story. A little bit of the details are different, but generally speaking, it is the same story. But I'm going to base myself on Second Samuel chapter six. Now, let me give you just some background, very basic background, because we're going to talk about the blessing that Obed Edom experienced. But we need we need to understand at least a little bit of the background. Here's what's taking place: David 
wants to transport the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now, remember that the Ark of the Covenant for the people of Israel represented God's very presence. I mean, it represented God's presence. And so the Ark of the Covenant was not in Jerusalem or the city of David. David had chosen that as his capital. And so he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to solidify the fact that Jerusalem would be the religious capital of Israel. Now, the fact that he was building his palace in Jerusalem uh, represented, of course, it signified that Jerusalem would also be the, the political capital of Israel. But now by bringing the Ark of the Covenant there, since it represented God's presence, that would solidify its standing, Jerusalem, I mean, as the religious center or the religious capital of Israel. So on the way, as he's transporting the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he had this uh, brand new cart pulled by some young oxen. The Ark of the Covenant was on top of it. If you remember the story, you're familiar with these details. And on the way, the oxen stumbled and the Ark was about to fall off of the cart and onto the ground. So a man by the name of Uzzah, he extended his hand and he tried to steady the Ark so that it wouldn't fall to the ground. And as soon as he touched the Ark of the Covenant, bam, he falls dead. This upsets David, obviously, right? I'd be bummed about it too. This upsets David and he just calls it off. It's like, no, let's scrap it. We're not doing this. And so what happens is that he leaves the Ark of the Covenant at the house of a man named Obed-Edom. This is where Obed-Edom comes into play. Now, the name Obed-Edom means servant of Edom, so we're not entirely sure if maybe this guy wasn't an Israelite even, but I guess there was some level of trust that David had with him if he left the Ark of the Covenant there at his house. And this is, this is what happened as a, as a result for Obed-Edom that David left the Ark of the Covenant in his house. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11 reads like this, The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So this is why the general theme of these three episodes is the blessing of Obed-Edom, or the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced. I like what verse 12 says of 2 Samuel chapter 6, because it, it states essentially the same thing, but just a little bit differently. Look at what 2 Samuel 6 verse 12 says. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has, and this is the key phrase for me, because of the ark of God. So, so the implication there for me is that it wasn't a coincidence that Obed-Edom was experiencing blessing in his household. It was specifically because of the ark of God being in his house for those three months. That's why. That's why he was experiencing the blessing. And what's interesting to me, a couple of things, well, several things are interesting to me. First of all, all we're told is that for the three months that the ark was in his house, that he was blessed. But we're not told the specific manner in which Obed-Edom was blessed. You get that? All we're told is that he was blessed, but we're not told, well, what, what did that blessing look like? What was the, the form, the shape? Uh, what was that blessing like that he experienced in his household for those three months? And that's, that's what I want to explore through these three episodes. The blessing of Obed-Edom, and specifically what potentially, right? Now, I'm going to admit, we can't be 100% certain because the Bible doesn't elaborate and specify, but potentially, what was the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced 
for those three months that the ark of God was in his house. And, and, and here's, that was a deep breath. Sorry about that. Here's what I want to suggest to you, that because the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced was, well, because the ark of the covenant was in his house. I mean, the reason he experienced blessing is because the ark of the covenant was in his house. Then for me, at least, it follows that the type of blessing that Obed-Edom and his, and his household experienced was related, obviously, to the Ark of the Covenant. But specifically, specifically, what I'm going to propose to you is that the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced for those three months was related to the three items that were inside the Ark of the Covenant and what those three items represented. Because we already said the Ark of the Covenant for the people of Israel represented God's presence. Great, yes. But there were three items that were inside the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember. The tablets of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and a jar of manna. And so for me, those three items represent something specific about God and how God related to his people. And so for me, the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced related to the three items that were inside the ark and what those three items represented for the people of God. Let, let, me, let me state that a little bit differently because I, I, know, I know that might sound a little confusing. It's not your fault, it's me. I'm, I'm trying to explain this. But look, here's what I mean. Each item in the Ark of the Covenant was meant to remind the people of God of a specific aspect of their relationship with God. And so I'm going to suggest that the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced was related to each of those items, each one of those items, and what they represented for the people of God. So that essentially the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced for those three months, I'm going to suggest, was actually manifested in three very specific ways. And those three very specific ways have to do with the three items that are in the Ark of the Covenant. The first item we're going to deal with, like I said, this is a three-part series, and so in each in each episode, we'll deal with a different item. But we're going to deal first with the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Okay, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, I've, I, I actually did another episode related to this. Uh, this was in February, February 26th of 2018. The episode is titled, It's Time to Clean House, Bro. And w- what I talked about there was actually about Obed-Edom, but I talked about the, the necessity of Obed-Edom having to make room for the Ark of God in his house. And so that the premise there that I was going for is that Obed-Edom would have never experienced God's blessing if he hadn't allowed God's presence into his home, and that that's the same for us today. If we want to experience God's blessing, first of all, we need to make room in our homes for God's presence. Go check out that episode after you listen to this one. Check that out because that, that serves uh, almost as an introduction, even though this was two years ago. It, it sets up what what I'm talking about here. Now, you don't have to listen to that in order to understand this episode but it complements it, okay? But the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and what I'm going to suggest is is the following, that the tablets of the Ten Commandments, they're inside the Ark of the Covenant, one of those three items, and what they represent is the blessing of right relationships or of restored relationships. And that's going to take up our attention for the rest of this episode. Now, before I jump into that, I just want to remind you that over at thechristianbrocode.com, I have a free resource available for you that's going to help you grow in your personal Bible study. Now, I'm going to be changing up those resources from time to time, so I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is because 
by the time you're listening to this, it may be different from what I actually say. But just know that if you visit the thechristianbrocode.com right now, I've got some free resources that I want to put in your hands in order to help you grow in your own personal Bible study. Okay, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, they represent for me the blessing of right or restored relationships. So one of the, one of the ways that Obed-Edom experienced God's blessing for the three months that the Ark of the Covenant was in his house was that he enjoyed the blessing of right relationships or of restored relationships. And for this, we need to dig into the story of the Ten Commandments and, and how all that came about. And actually, for each of these three items that we're going to talk about, we, we, need to, we need to know their background. We need to know the story behind them in order to understand what I'm suggesting as the blessing for Obed-Edom. So for that, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. And we're actually going to look at several chapters in Exodus as they relate to the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people. Okay? He, he spoke the Ten Commandments. They weren't written in stone yet. They were spoken, and the people heard the Ten Commandments. And within those spoken Ten Commandments, or ten words, literally the, the Hebrew says words, ten words, God had prohibited making idols of any kind, okay? As we progress through that narrative, through that story, the people of Israel are already out of bondage. God has crossed them through the Red Sea, and they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. So after God had spoken the Ten Commandments, throughout all of chapter 23, there are different regulations and guidelines that God gave Moses to then share with the people, and this is what they would have to follow in order to be considered God's people. Now, that's, that's several chapters, okay, the remainder of chapter 20 and all the way through chapter 23. And then in chapter 24, the people of God entered a covenant with God. That, that, that's, that's what happened in chapter 24. That's how I interpret the events of chapter 24, the beginning of chapter 24, that the people of God entered a covenant with God. And I'm going to read, okay, because I think the best way to get this is by reading it. Exodus 24, verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, this is Mount Sinai, and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 5, then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant, this is the stuff that he had just written, and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So notice what's taking place, verses 3 through 8. Moses is officiating this, what I will call, and I'm not, it's not original to me, but a covenant ceremony, whereby the people of God are entering into a covenant with God. And it's interesting because, you know, you probably heard it said that in order for a covenant to be made, there had to be the shedding of blood. And so you notice that Moses, he slaughtered these young bulls, 
right? And he presented offerings and uh, burnt offerings, sacrifices and fellowship offerings, but also with the blood, he sprinkled some of the blood against the altar. The altar was there to represent God, one of the parties of the covenant. And so sprinkling the altar is identifying one of the parties in the covenant. And then he takes the other half of the blood and sprinkles it on the people. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, holy water doesn't sound so bad, right? He's sprinkling blood on the people, the other parties of this covenant. And so by doing that, and by the people saying, yes, we will obey, that, that ritual, that ceremony seals the covenant. And so now in Exodus 24, what you have is the covenant ceremony between God and the people of Israel. They've now entered into a covenant by which God will be their God and they will be his people. Covenant. After that, God calls Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai. And and I want you to keep that idea of covenant very present in your mind because it's important as we move forward. God calls Moses up to the, the top of Mount Sinai and it's there that he now gives him the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments. This is, you know, the, the Ten Commandments. And he stayed there for 40 days and for 40 nights. You can read about that in Exodus 24, 12 through 18. And, and while he was there, God gave him, like, man, a lot of instructions, a lot of instructions. And the bulk of the instructions that God gave Moses when he was there on the top of Mount Sinai they had to do with the building of the tabernacle and the consecrating of the priests. You can read about that in Exodus 25 through 31. And you know, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to try, I'll figure out how to do this, to make the notes that I'm using for this episode, make them available for you so that you can have all these Bible verses uh, available. So let me figure out how to do that, but I'm going to try to get those into your hand. So anyway, Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. God is giving him instructions on how to build the tabernacle, very detailed instructions about every part of the tabernacle, consecrating the priests, what the priests are supposed to wear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then, Exodus 31, verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. This we understand to be the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, okay? And, and man, I, I don't know why I'm taking such deep breaths. I mean, aside from the fact that I'm totally out of shape, but that's beside the point. You got to ask, why two tablets? And, and I, I researched this. I started looking, uh, why two tablets? And there are different suggestions. You know, it was Ten Commandments, so, you know, he needed more space. So he wrote maybe five on one, five on the other. The problem with that is that the length of the commandments isn't very even, so it wouldn't, if it's five and five, it would have been very uneven on the commandments. Um, but the, the suggestion that I like, the suggestion I like, going back to this idea of they entered into a covenant with the Lord, here's the suggestion that I like. We find out later in this narrative that both sides of the tablets were written on. Not just one side, but both sides of the tablets were written on. And so... I think, and and again, I I found this through some research. It's not my original thought. I think that each tablet had all Ten Commandments. So you had a copy. You had two copies, and each tablet, each stone tablet, had all Ten Commandments written on them front and back. And and what, what this does is that 
essentially, it's a copy of the covenant for the people, and it's a copy of the covenant for God. I find that suggestion interesting. Do we know that for certain? No, but it does line up with how treaties were made in the ancient Near East in general, that each party of the covenant or of the treaty received a copy so that they knew what they were, you know, what they had to live up to. So I find that interesting. Two, two, um, two copies, one for the people with all 10 commandments, the other one for God with all 10 commandments. Now, here's where we get into the incident of the golden calf. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, Here's what happens. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And that that's that's an interesting response. I, I don't blame them too much because we do find out that at the top of Mount Sinai where Moses was, it was covered in smoke, fire. I mean, it was just a, a, an incredible sight to see. So it's not that far out of the realm of belief that Moses had died up on the mountain because I mean, you're just seeing this phenomenal, uh, what would you call just something completely out of the ordinary and supernatural taking place that you would think, yeah, this guy's toast. Like literally, this guy's toast. He's just burned up. So it, it, their their response as far as what happened to Moses, is understandable. Now, of course, what we can't excuse is what they want to do. Make us gods who will go before us. That's not excusable because remember, they had already entered a covenant with God. And here they're asking for gods. They're they're asking for a God, although they had already entered a covenant with God. And so what happens? Well, we find out that in verse 4, Aaron took all that they handed him, all their earrings and their accouterments and adornments and etc. They handed him all that stuff and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now remember, by this point, even though the people of Israel didn't have the physical copies of the Ten Commandments, they had already heard God speak the Ten Commandments, and the, the, the one of those commandments, the second one is, do not make idols of any kind. So here they are already violating the covenant that they had just formed with God just over a month ago. So you begin to see the problem that the covenant is beginning to break down. Now, here's what's interesting. A, a bunch of stuff is interesting here, but here's what's interesting. Remember, I told you that earlier Moses led the people in a covenant ceremony to to solidify and to formalize the covenant. I think Aaron tries to do something similar in Exodus 32. I think he tries to I don't know, do his own kind of covenant ceremony because look at what look at what it says in verse 5. Exodus 32:5 it says, "When Aaron saw this, meaning that the people were were lifting up this golden calf as their god, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Now, Moses built an altar when he did the covenant ceremony back in Exodus 20, uh, what was it, 21, somewhere around there that we, that we just mentioned. So Aaron is doing something similar. He built an altar and he says, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. The same thing that Moses did when he officiated the covenant ceremony between God and the people. Aaron is kind of copying, he's duplicating that. And by that, it seems as if he's trying to, I don't know, 
do another covenant ceremony. Uh, obviously he's trying to appease the people, but it seems as if he's trying to do another covenant ceremony, another covenant ceremony, but now with this golden calf that they've created. And, and I, I, I struggle here because it's possible that the, the, I mean, obviously they're sinning, but it's not so much that they've chosen a new God. It's not that they've replaced God, the God of Israel with another God it seems as if they're identifying the golden calf with God. Because Aaron says in verse 5, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Okay, so he's not identifying some other God or some new God. He's saying, this is the Lord. Okay, and and a, a calf in, in those days was, was a very common image uh, for a God. And sometimes the calf was not seen as the God itself, but rather the pedestal uh, on which the God would stand. So the God was invisible, but the calf was visible and that the God was standing on top of the calf. Regardless, they had already violated the covenant by fashioning an idol, something that God had explicitly prohibited. So here you see Aaron conducting, officiating some kind of covenant ceremony similar to what Moses had done previously. And for me, it's at that moment that the people of Israel broke covenant with God, that they violated the covenant with God that they had established under Moses's leadership. Right there in that moment, when they conduct this second, this ditto (laughs) covenant ceremony, they ruptured, they violated, they broke the original covenant covenant. Now, meanwhile, back at the top of the mountain, Exodus 32, verse 7, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. I I told them, and they were quick to turn away from that. And they've made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Verse 9, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they're stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone so that, I'm, so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. Essentially, what God is saying in those verses is they violated the terms of the covenant that they made with me, and they were quick about it. It didn't even take very long. And they've already violated the terms of the covenant that they made with me. And God was ready. (laughs) Obviously, we we read these verses. God was ready to destroy the people of Israel because they violated the covenant that they had just established with him. Now, fortunately, Moses interceded for them and God relented. He said, okay, I'm not going to do it. Moses interceded. But now here we have Moses coming down the mountain to confront the people. This is where things get interesting, as if they haven't been interesting enough. This is where things really, really take an interesting turn. Moses comes down, and here's what happens. Exodus 32, verse 15. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. Okay, remember, he's got, he's got the Ten Commandments, one copy for the people, one copy for God, if we're going with that interpretation. And so he's coming down from the mountain, going down to where the people are with the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And it says in verse 15, they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. 
The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Covenant. This, these are the terms of the covenant. Verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now, I want to suggest there, obviously Moses was angry. It says his anger burned and he threw the tablets. I, I don't... I don't think that the the breaking of the of the tablets was only an an expression of his anger. Obviously it was an expression of anger. But I think it's more than that. I, I don't think it was just this little hissy fit that Moses is throwing because he's upset of, for what the people are doing. And so he says, I'm just mad. I'm so angry and I'm gonna break these tablets. I think it's more than that. Remember, I've been suggesting that the people of Israel had broken covenant with God. And since the, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments represented the covenant between God and his people, a copy for each, right? Two, two, two stone tablets, one for you, one for me. I think what Moses is doing is he's demonstrating to the people. He's giving them a visible demonstration and letting them know you've broken the covenant. The covenant is shattered. The covenant is null and void. There is no longer a covenant between you and God. The covenant was broken. And so with that, yes, I'm not, I'm not denying, I'm not suggesting that this wasn't an act of anger. Sure it was, but I think it's more than that. It represented Moses is showing the people, you have broken covenant with God. Verse 20, he took the calf the people had made and he burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder. He scattered it on the water, and then this is interesting, and made the Israelites drink it. Now, let me let me do just a quick little deviation here to explain that, because that's weird. Seriously, that, that's weird, right, that he, he made it into this powder, and then he made them drink it. We have a couple of options as to what that means. Um, you might remember that in Numbers chapter 5, this is later on, Numbers chapter 5, verses 12 to 31, there's a, a whole uh, description there of what to do when a man suspected his wife of having cheated on him and what the, the, the woman would have to go present herself to the priest, he would take some dirt from the ground of the tabernacle, put it in some holy water, shake it up here, drink this. It, w- it was a test. It was a test, right? If, if her, <laughs> this is interesting, if she miscarried and her belly would swell up, then she was guilty. She had been unfaithful to her husband. If nothing happened to her, no biggie. All you did was drink a little muddy water. No, no biggie. So that that was a test to prove whether this woman had been faithful or unfaithful to her husband. It's possible that maybe that's what Moses is is doing. Maybe well, we can't be for sure. It's possible that what Moses is doing is that he's giving all the Israelites this water to drink with this powder from the idol mixed into it. And so, if something similar happened, like what would happen in Numbers five with that poor woman. If, if their belly would swell or some other kind of physical manifestation would happen into, into them, then that would identify them as violators of the covenant. So it may have been a test to identify the violators of the covenant. That's an option. We don't know for certain. that. I think that's very in line with some, some Jewish traditions that it lines up with that. It's a test for the violators of the covenant. Another option, I think they're both, they're both interesting and both viable. Another option is that Moses is doing this as a sign of complete desecration of the idol. Because what's going to happen? 
what, what's going to happen when they drink this water? Well, it's going to go through all the, the body, through the digestive system, and then it's going to come out as waste. And that, that would have been like the ultimate desecration of that idol, that it would come out of the human body as waste, right? Urine, and you know, even mixed into the feces, right? It's waste, ultimate desecration of those materials that were used to form that idol. And not only that, but by grounding it to powder, having the people drink it, and then they, they expel it through their waste, Moses is ensuring that that idol would never be reconstructed again from those materials. So you've got some very interesting options. And really, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be a combination of both. Why not, right? We don't know for certain. But there are some, you know, because you come across that and you say, well, why would Moses make him drink it? Well, there's some options. There are some options. There is some rationale behind them. And so Moses, again, through breaking the tablets of the Ten Commandments, he's giving them a visual representation of the fact that they had violated their covenant with God. And then stuff gets crazy. Stuff gets crazy after that, as if drinking uh, ground-up powdered water is not crazy enough. Moses rallies all of the Levites, and then he instructs them to go throughout the camp, just go back and forth throughout the camp, and these are the instructions, killing brother, friend, and neighbor. And and really the assumption here, they're just not going on this wild, crazy, wild-eyed killing spree. I think the assumption there is that anyone who has violated the covenant, anyone who was participant in violating the covenant and, and showed no intention of, of, of coming back to the Lord, showed no signs of remorse and repentance, they would be, they would be dead. And the Levites were carrying this out. Now, now that's, that's an option. It's possible if we go with the, the interpretation that that water concoction that they drank showed some kind of physical manifestation, maybe the Levites were just going, and if they saw those signs, those symptoms from the the water they drank in a person, then those would be the people who were identified as having been killed. But the idea here is that apparently not absolutely every single person in the crowd was involved in this. But what they're doing is that they're going through and they're weeding out those who did violate the covenant of God. And so it, it just it just it's just a really horrific scene as you read through that. And so that that's that's the setup. Man, the 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 people of Israel broke covenant with the Lord. There were consequences, but there's always hope, always, okay? Because the covenant was restored. Yeah, fantastic news. The covenant was restored. We find out that we're gonna get a new set of stone tablets. Exodus thirty four. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Just by the way, Moses, the ones you broke. Yeah, make some new ones. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. Verse 4, so Moses chiseled out two new stone tablets like the first ones and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, in Hebrew that be Yahweh. Verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. 
that is such a key declaration. That that formula right there is so key, and we see it pop up multiple times after this in the Old Testament. But that's going to be very key as we proceed in our understanding of the blessing of Obed-Edom, okay? So, so kind of store that away in your mind, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love, etc., etc. That's going to be key. Then in verse 10, notice verse 10 says, then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Okay, so he's restoring, he's making a new covenant. He's restoring the covenant that the people had violated and broken. I'm making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders, uh, yeah, wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, is jumping all the way down to verse 27, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, again, just like the last time, without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So notice that God is reestablishing the covenant. He's giving Israel a second chance, and that's why that formula that I mentioned about him being compassionate and gracious is so crucial. It's so central to the development of this this, uh, event. And so Moses writes a new set. Again, it's two, writes a new set of, of commandments. I mean, I mean, it's the same commandments, a new set of, of stone tablets. And then Moses goes down from the mountain down to where the people are, and he has the two tablets of the covenant in his hands. This is where we find out that his face was super radiant. The people couldn't look at him directly because his face was so radiant. And it was at that moment that, uh, verse 32 Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands as the Lord had given him on Sinai. And so at that moment, the covenant is restored. The the, the covenant is reestablished, and notice that it was God who initiated. The people of Israel obviously couldn't do anything to restore or reestablish the covenant. God initiated the the reestablishment, the restoration of the covenant. And so then, the tablets of the Ten Commandments were then placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, and they they were there to serve as an eternal reminder of God's willingness to forgive his people when they rebel against him. It's not just, these are the Ten Commandments, these, these are the strict rules that God wants us to follow. I think it's more than that. I think the fact that they're in the Ark of the Covenant, yes, it represents God's law and his expectations of his people. But any time the people of Israel would think about the Ten Commandments and those tablets, I think they would inevitably think about how God restored the covenant with Israel when they didn't deserve for the covenant to be restored. And I, I think that's, that's a beautiful reminder of God and who he is and how he represents himself to his people and how he relates to his people, that the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant were there as an eternal reminder, we serve a God who forgives. We serve a God. Anytime the people thought about those tablets, they knew that they served a God who forgives. Because keep in mind that the it was the second set of tablets that was inside the Ark of the Covenant. Not 
it was a second set. Now, there are some Jewish traditions that say that both sets, the broken pieces and the new set of the of the tablets were in the Ark of the Covenant. And that for me is such a beautiful picture. Covenant broken, but covenant restored. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And how it was that it was God who restored the covenant with the people when they were the ones who broke it. And so what do the, the tablets represent? Again, God's law, God's instruction. I get that. But I think it's beyond that. It's it's representative of God's willingness to restore covenant when his people break it and his graciousness. And that's why, again, that formula, I call it a formula of God being compassionate and gracious is so important to this story because that's really what the the the, the new tablets of the Ten Commandments end up representing. Now, bear in mind that when we talk about God being gracious and willing to forgive, we're not talking about God giving a license to sin, because remember, the tablets were also a reminder of the consequences of violating God's covenant. And and that's also in, in that formula that we read that, yes, God is gracious and compassionate, but he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a reminder of a very strong reminder of God's grace, but it's also a reminder, hey, God still punishes the guilty. D- don't think that he won't punish the guilty. And so this brings us back to Obed-Edom. All that background brings us back to Obed-Edom. Because remember, all we're told is that for the three months that the Ark of the Covenant was in Obed-Edom's house, that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's house. We're not told the specific manner in which Obed-Edom was blessed. But as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I'm suggesting that the blessing that Obed-Edom and his household experienced for those three months was related to specifically the three items that were inside the Ark of the Covenant and what they represent. Each item in the Ark of the Covenant represented a specific way in which God related to his people, and that's the type of blessing that Obed-Edom experienced. So when we think about the, the, the copy of the, the, the second copy of the tablets, what does that tell us about God's relationship with his people? I've been mentioning this. He is a God who restores relationship with his people when his people break that relationship. And, and, and it's, it's, it's significant because it tells us that these, these tablets, these new stones, they're a symbol of God's forgiveness. They're a symbol of a reestablished covenant. They're a symbol of a restored relationship between God and his people. And it's, 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 an, it's, it's so important to note that it was God who took the steps because he's the only one who could to restore the covenant that the people had broken. And so when we look at the, the blessing as it might have been expressed in Obed-Edom's situation for those three months, I think that part of the blessing that Obed-Edom and his family experienced was a greater appreciation, a greater understanding, an acknowledgement of the gracious forgiveness of God. That in and of itself is a blessing. When you recognize that you serve a God of grace, not a capricious God who is just waiting to zap you, but you serve a God who is compassionate, gracious, willing to forgive, long, uh, long-suffering, that he, he's slow to anger, living under grace, living knowing that you serve a God of grace, Imagine how Obed-Edom's home was different just knowing that he served a God of grace. What an incredible blessing. I think I said blessing there. 
<laughs> what an incredible blessing that they had this, this deeper understanding of the gracious forgiveness of God. Now, again, this doesn't diminish the fact that God punishes sin, right? But it does highlight the fact that God is a God of grace and forgiveness. And, and I'll say this, grace is not just a New Testament concept. We, we talk about how, or some people talk about how the, the New Testament is the, the testament of grace or the era of grace, and, and I, I don't dispute that, but grace did not start in the New Testament. And we have this formula and we have this whole event here that demonstrates that God is a God of grace. And it, it wasn't only until Jesus came and, and grace gave us his grace that God started being a God of grace. No, he's always been a God of grace. And this event highlights that. And so what we see here is that God is is willing and he does what is necessary in order to restore relationship between him and his people when his people violate the covenant and the relationship that they have with him. But there's more, I think there's more. God is also a God who is concerned with right relationships between his people, not just between him and his people, but between people themselves. In other words, I, I see God longing for there to be right relationships between individuals, between the members of his, of his people, not just between him and individuals, but between individuals. And, and how, how do we know that? How do we know that God is concerned with that? Well, let, let's go back to the Ten Commandments and, and the tablets of the Ten Commandments that were inside the Ark of the Covenant, because this, this is, you, you may already know, I'm sure you may already know this. We know that God is concerned with his relationship with his people, but he's also concerned with relationship among people. How do we know that? Well, six of the commandments on the stone tablets, six of the Ten Commandments, have to do with how people relate to each other. I think that's interesting. The first four commandments have to do with how you as a person or the individual relates to God. Don't have gods before me, don't make any idols. Uh, don't use the name of the Lord in, uh, in vain, and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those relate to your relationship with God. But the remaining six, 60% of the Ten Commandments have to do with how you relate to somebody else. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't cover your neighbor's house. That has to do with relating to other people. And so God is just as concerned with how you relate with others and ha- that you have right relationship with others, not just that you have right relationship with him. Community, relationship, that's built in in the Ten Commandments. That's written in stone, literally written in stone. It's not, du- it's not just God and me. It's God, me, and how I relate to others. And so the, the, the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, they represent a right, restored relationship vertically, you and God, but also horizontally, you and others. God wants you to have good relationships, right relationships, restored relationships with other people. In fact, in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked by an expert of the law, hey, which is the greatest of the uh, commandment in the law? You remember that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I think he's summarizing the first four commandments. But then he says, the second because he said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What's he saying? He's summarizing. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's summarizing the last six commandments. See, it for God, it is important, not just your relationship with him, but your relationship with others. So in the case of Obed-Edom, 
I think it's not only that they recognized the gracious forgiveness of God and that their relationship with God improved, but I think, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that relationships within the home improved. Isn't that beautiful? And it didn't, it, it didn't just happen magically or just because. I, I, think, I think that there was this realization of how incredible the forgiveness of God is which then led to a realization in Obed-Edom's house that they needed to be gracious and forgiving to each other as well. That because God has been so gracious to us and has forgiven us so much, how could we not forgive each other? How can I not forgive my wife when she offends me? How can I not forgive and extend grace to my children when they've offended me? Taking into consideration how much God has forgiven me taking into consideration how much grace God has poured out on me. How can I not do that with others? And one of the, I think one of the blessings, one of the aspects of the blessings, blessings that Obed-Edom experienced was that blessing of right or restored relationships, both with God and among the members of the household. I I think that's, 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 that's a, it's so impacting, and it gives us a glimpse of what can take place in our homes today. And I started near the beginning of the episode by saying, you know, I pointed you to another episode that I did on Obed-Edom, the importance of letting God's presence into your house, because that's what Obed-Edom did. Whether he felt forced or he was happy to do it, he, he let God's presence, represented by the ark, he let it into his house. He invited God's presence into his house, which meant that he probably had to move some things out of the way in order to make room for God's presence. Their houses back then were not nearly as big as ours today, so he probably had to move some stuff, get rid of some stuff. There are some Jewish traditions that say that he actually built a little hut specifically for the the Ark of the Covenant. Whatever took place, he had to make room for the Ark of the Covenant. And in our case today, it means that we've got to make room for God's presence, and there are things in our house that we need to get rid of, things that may be offensive to God, incompatible with his presence. Get them out of your house so you can make room for God's presence in your house. And when you do, you allow God's presence into your house, one of the blessings you can expect is the blessing of right relationships, restored relationships, as represented, as symbolized by the tablets of the Ten Commandments. You, I think you'll have a greater appreciation of the grace, the forgiveness, the compassion of God. And I think the, the practical expression, the practical outworking of acknowledging and experiencing God's grace and forgiveness is that you then become a person of grace and forgiveness. Can you imagine the impact that it would have on your household if you became a person of grace and forgiveness. Not saying that you let your kids run wild. No, remember, God still punishes sin. There are consequences. And as parents, there are consequences that we have to mete out to our kids when they when they violate the, the rules of the home, for sure. But what happens when you, even when you discipline in grace? That's not disciplining in anger, not disciplining in spite or with malice, but you discipline with grace. Can you imagine the impact that that would have on your kids, how they would grow up loving you, loving God. Look, guys, bro, this, this, 
this is living, loving, and leading to honor God, that you recognize the depth of his grace and his forgiveness, and you say, I need to do that as well. I, I want to be one who is gracious and forgiving towards those in my family. And so as we look at this narrative of Obed-Edom, and even though it's, it's not clear exactly how the blessing was manifested, I think that those three items inside the Ark of the Covenant give us a glimpse of what blessing Obed-Edom experienced and what blessing we can experience in our home if we only allow God's blessing, God's presence rather, into our home. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Become aware of God's grace and forgiveness. Reflect on how much God has forgiven you. I don't, I'm not asking you to dwell on your past and dwell on your sin and just beat yourself up for all the sin and guilt in your life. No, 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 no. Just become aware of the immense, the immeasurable and unending and unfathomably deep grace of God. And when you, when you think you've got a hold of that, internalize that and say, I want to be a bro who expresses grace. And in my home, I'm going to allow God's presence to invade and infiltrate my home. And the blessing is going to be felt. And one of the ways it's going to be felt is that I will live, love, and lead through grace. I will be a man of grace towards my family. What a blessing. That, just that in and of itself, I guarantee you that your kids and your wife will know this is a blessing from God. If you, as the leader in your home, would lead with grace, I think everything changes in your home. That's one of the things I take away from this episode of Obed-Edom, grace. We serve a God of grace and forgiveness. So, because so much grace has been extended to us and because we've been forgiven so much, let's do the same. Great stuff, man. Man, I, man, I told you this was going to be a good episode. I mean, I'm, look, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just, I, all I did was read scripture. <laughs> that, that's all I did. I just read scripture. That's why it was so great, man. It was, it was just awesome. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to go back and read those chapters of Exodus for yourself uh, from about chapter 20 all the way to chapter 20, 34. Read them and, and just view this through the lens of grace and what that can, what can, what, what can that mean for your family and the way that you live, love, and lead to honor God. Be on the lookout because like I said, this is the first part of a three-part series. We still have two other items in the Ark of the Covenant that we need to cover the staff of Aaron and the jar of manna, and those have some pretty heavy implications for how we live as well. So subscribe to the podcast. Make sure that you're up to date so that you get these episodes and that you're continuing to grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can live, love, and lead to honor God. All right, that's it, bro. Until next time, God bless, bro.